Good morning. My name is Kirsty, and I'm a covenant member with Redeemer. Um, this morning we'll be reading Colossians 1, 15 through 20, and I'll be reading from the ESV. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, and whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is God's word. Awesome. Thanks, Kirsty. Uh, you may be seated. Uh, if you haven't already, go ahead and turn your Bibles to fir- uh, First Colossians. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses um, 15. We're actually today, we're going to be looking at verses 15 through 17. Uh, next week, Ryan will be uh, looking at the other verses, 18 through 20. But we wanted to read these uh, texts together because these verses say so much about who Jesus is. Um, and I think it's important for us to hear the whole scope uh, of this portion of text as we uh, evaluate it over the next uh, couple uh, of weeks. And so, uh, but though, really quick though, for those who I don't know, uh, my name is Brian Carroll. I'm one of the other pastors here at Redeemer. Um, and just to affirm what Ryan said, we are glad you are here uh, to worship with us uh, this morning. So, all right. Well, Colossians chapter 1, uh, like I said, verses 15 through 17 is where we're going to be looking at uh, today. Uh, most of us, I think, uh, are familiar with the phrase means to an end. Uh, just something as a means to an end. And so when we typically use that phrase, uh, what we mean is that the end is some kind of goal or something that we, we want, and the means is just the thing that we have to do to get to that point. Uh, for instance, and so for those of you who may have uh, competed in sports, um, or maybe you played an instrument, um, typically practices was a part of that sport, right? So I ran cross country and track. To your surprise, I was not a linebacker. Um, so I, I know it might just fool some of you guys. But, uh, um, but right, like, like practice was a part of what we did. Um, but when you get to a race or when you get to a game or when you get to, to march on the field and play that instrument in the, in, in the moment you're, you're working towards, right, it, it, you, you kind of are excited. And so you see the practices um, as a means to that end, right? Or, or for, for instance, um, my wife and I, we've been married for a little over seven years now, but when we first started dating, um, I had to pretend um, that I was very clean. I had to pretend that I had, uh, was not a messy person. She was quickly duped by all that, but th- that was my means uh, uh, to, to, for her to actually like me. And so uh, by God's grace, despite those things, she still loves me. And so uh, right, but the, the phrase means to an end, um, it, it shows itself up a lot of life. Sometimes we view our jobs that way. Or, hey, I don't really like my job, but it's just a means to an end so I can support my family. Or for those of you students, uh, whether college, high school, or junior high that are in school, um, may, school may not be your favorite thing. Maybe it is. Uh, for, and if that's you, congratulations. That's, that's awesome. Um, but right, school just might be a means to, to, to get to the next phase of life. Um, so, so the means is just something that's there to get to what we really want. And it's easy for us, I think, sometimes to see Jesus as just a means to another end. 
Um, rather, seeing Jesus as just useful for something um, that else I want, whether it's a, a good marriage or to help me out in, in, the, in a certain situation. And all those things we, we want, like, but, but rather it's super easy for us at times to see Jesus as just useful for something else that we really want. Have you ever felt that way before? That Jesus is just kind of there to prop up my own desires as opposed to him actually being the one that my whole life revolves around. It's super easy to get into that mindset. Um, um, But however, um, what we need to understand and what we're going to look at today and what this text really highlights is that Jesus, he cannot be just some means to another end, but rather he is the end. He is the point of everything. He is the point of all creation, of everything that we do, of our lives. He is the point. He, all things are moving towards him. And so the question I want to ask this morning is similar to the one that we looked at last week. Last week, I asked the question, um, do we just know things about God or do we actually know him? Do we know things just about God? Do we actually know him? And today's question that I kind of want to look at as well, that it's similar, is do I want to know Jesus? Do I want to revolve my whole life around Jesus? Or is he just a means to another end? Is he just useful for something else that I really want? And so as we deal with the text today, Colossians chapter 1, I think what's going to hopefully happen for us is that it's going to shift our minds a little bit to really see why Jesus is the one we need to revolve our whole life around. Why everything points to him and why we can't just see him as just this person who's going to help me get something else. And the text that we're going to look at today is, is, is very, uh, there's a lot of theology, there's a lot of Christology that's going on here, but that Christology, that theology is meant not just to go to our minds, but it's meant to actually penetrate our hearts in such a way to where we see Jesus as worthy to live for, worthy to live our whole lives, put our whole lives around. But like I said, but that's the question I want to lay before us today as we evaluate this text. Is Jesus just a means to something else, or is he the point? And just so you kind of know where we're going, we're going to tackle the theology aspect on the front end, and then after that, we're going to kind of get into the second part of just getting to the heart level. Both are important. Both are important. So let's go ahead and really quick reread um, verses 15 through 17. Paul writes that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And so if you remember the last two weeks, um, we've been looking at Paul's introduction letters. And what he's doing in this introduction is he's thanking uh, the Colossians for their faith that they have in Jesus and as it's displayed itself in their love for one another. And then he goes on to continue to pray for them that they would grow in, the, in, in spiritual knowledge, increasing uh, in their, their, their love for Jesus, abiding in him. And he's praying that they would grow in this way. And he also says as a part of that growth was that they were to give thanks to Jesus. 
Why are they giving thanks to Jesus? Well, if you look in the verse before, Jesus was the one who delivered them from the domain of darkness. He delivered us from a life of pursuing and living in sin. He's brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son through, him, him, through his sacrifice on the cross. He's reconciled us back to the Father so we can have a relationship with him. He's given us forgiveness. He's given us redemption. He's given us all these things. And so what he's doing in the past couple weeks, he's elevating Jesus. In a lot of ways, it's culminating in these verses we just read. So, so as, as, a, as a means to not only disarm and dismantle uh, the false prophecies and false teachers in Colossians that were trying to undergird Jesus' authority, it, this text does that. But what Jesus is also doing, he's elevating Jesus to help them see who this, who this God is that they are to be thankful for who this God is, that we, they are to be thankful. So we can't d- divorce um, what he says in verses 3 through 14 through 15 and 17, right? And it's, it's, it's all building and culminating uh, a lot, in a lot of ways to this moment. And like I said, a, a, a ver- these verses are not, were not just meant for them and for us to only go to our minds, but it was meant to go to our hearts. It's meant to instill worship, and so in, in these verses, he's listing out a several different things about who Jesus is and the nature of his character. And I just want to, kind of, I want to spend some time going through them. So first off, he says that he is the image of the invisible God. Verse 15, he is the, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. What, what, what does that mean? Um, the word for image there is a, is a word called icon. Um, you might be familiar for, with the word icon as we know it. It's, it's, it's an image of sorts. It's, it's displaying, a, a, it's a representation of something else. And so what it's saying is that Jesus uh, is the icon. He's the image of the invisible God. And what that implies is, it, is it's two, two really two big things. That he is the image of God's likeness and he is the manifestation of God himself. He is the revelation of God. And so it's in, in, in a similar way, like I said, my, my, I have some resemblance to my dad. Um, I, I kind of look like him in some ways. Uh, I've got better hair. He's watching, by the way. Um, right? but, uh, but we resemble each other a little bit, even in our mannerisms. So we're both very excitable. And so like, when we get excited about something, we'll draw out our words. Like, holy cow, that is outstanding. My dad does it. I will do it at times. Um, right? so, but in ways, I image my dad. So kind of the same thing, but, but not really. So even though as I image my dad, I am not my dad. I am, I am a different person. I am a separate person. And so when it's talking about that Jesus is the image of God, it's not talking about that Jesus is kind of like God. No, the fullness of God resides in Jesus. He says that in verse 19. All of who God is, uh, is revealed in the person of God. All the attributes and character of the invisible God is revealed in the visible person of Jesus. So all of who God is, is found in the person of Christ. And like I said, the connotation of that word icon isn't just to mean like they're similar, uh, but rather it's the exact imprint. It's the exact stamp of God. That's who Jesus is. He's the exact stamp. And like I said, he's the fullness. The fullness of God dwells in him. So there's no part uh, in G- of Jesus' divinity that's lacking. 
He is the fullness of God. He is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says it, that he is the exact imprint of God, that he is the radiance of God's glory. And so Jesus is elevated to this, per, this status of divinity to where the fullness of God is in him. He is the exact imprint of God, and that because of that, nothing in Jesus is lacking. Nothing in Jesus is lacking. And so he moves on this. So he says that he is the image of the invisible God. He is the stamp of the invisible God. And then he continues and says that he is the firstborn of all creation. He is the firstborn of all creation. And so when we read that, that might actually throw us into a little bit of confusion. Because what that might, how that might sound is that like, oh wait, was Jesus actually a created being? Did, did, was he actually just the first created thing? Well, that, that's what Jehovah's Witnesses believe. They believe that Jesus was the first created being. And yes, he is elevated, but he is not elevated to the point of God. And so while you do see in the scripture that sometimes that title of firstborn is referred to as the firstborn, really in its bigger context, what that actually means is a, is a person who is of high rank. They're first in rank and honor. They're meant to be, it's this idea of this, this, this title of being the firstborn of all creation is that they are supreme, they are preeminent, they are before all things. It's this elevated status of honor and value above all creation. So it's not specifically talking about Jesus being a creation because here's the thing. He goes on to say in verse 16 that through him all things were created. Well, but, but if that's true, then, and if Jesus was created, then were all things created through him. No, because he would have been a creation. So, 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 so that's, that form of logic falls. So it can't mean that. And so what it does mean, though, it's like this Jesus is this elevated, uh, is elevated in all creation. He is supreme. All things point to him. He is above all things in creation. And that's what this title firstborn means. He's the firstborn of all creation is this elevation of who he is. This is the supremacy of who he is above everything else. Because everything else. And the, the flow of logic that Paul uses here is actually pretty, pretty smart because he starts off with he's the image of God. And in all of creation, um, he is supreme. He is preeminent. And then he flows into that. Not only is he preeminent, but actually he was the creator. All things, he says in verse 16, all things were created through Jesus. So think back in Genesis 1. Many of us are familiar with the story of Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the world. Jesus was there. And not only was Jesus there, he was part of the creation. Everything was created through him. God created everything through Jesus. And so really quick, all throughout the Old Testament, you talk, we see that God was the creator of all things. He specifically spells this out in, in, in the different prophecies, in the different Psalms. And even, for instance, Psalm, Psalm 95, uh, verses 3 through 5, he says, uh, the psalmist says that the Lord, for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also, and the sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. That's Jesus. Jesus was the creator. All things were created through Jesus. And the creation is ultimately also meant to point us to our creator. 
It's meant to point us to that there is a God, um, and his name is Jesus, and all things um, were made through him. You see this, Paul says this in in Romans uh, 1, verses 19 through 20. He says that for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And so this creation that Jesus was a part of was ultimately meant to reveal who he is. Is ultimately meant to reveal who he is. And so think about it for a second. All that we know, all the matter that we are able to see, Jesus created. Really quick, just to throw out some some fun earth facts for you, because I know we like that kind of thing. Um, In the world, so you think about creation itself. In the world, there are about three trillion trees. Say that three times, three trillion trees. That kind of will will, will twist your tongue a little bit. So, So that's enough trees for all of us to own 422 trees. Okay, so in case you're wanting some, a tree farm, um, you're entitled to 422 of them. So if you've got space for that, great. Um, another fact is in a rural, rural land, so think of like Wall, Wall Texas, um, there are more insects in one square mile of rural land than there are people in the earth. Right? I don't like bugs, but that's a lot of bugs. So um, one more. If there wasn't an orbit, um, you know, the, where the Earth revolves around, I'm kind of stepping out of my lane here. I'm not a science guy. Um, so if you fact check me, you can call me out. That's fine. Um, but if there wasn't an orbit, um, the Earth would be plummeting towards the sun, and life as we know it would be different, right? Very different. We probably wouldn't be in this room. Um, so, 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 so do what you want with all these facts. But the author of all these facts, the author of each of them, um, uh, is the author of creation, who is Jesus. Jesus is aware of all these little bugs. He's aware of all these trees. He's perfectly designed the earth to orbit around it. So the, the scope of Jesus' role as creator is, like I said, we need to think about him as in this role. Simply, we don't do that. But Jesus, all things were created through him. And, and, and the scope of this all things isn't just the physical matter and material. But it's also the invisible. It's also the spiritual realm. He says um, that in, so. He says that all things were created through him in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. That could potentially be referring to um, kingdoms and, and governors and, and presidents, and, and, and it still applies. But really, what I think that's actually talking about is the spiritual realm, the angelic and demonic host of beings that are. Uh, things that we do not see, but that are very, very uh, involved in our realities, right? He created all these things, and all things are in submission to him. So there is not one ounce of our creation um, that Jesus did not, have a play, did not play a part in. He was part of all of it, invisible or invisible. And what a text should do, a text like this should do, is it should elevate Jesus in our eyes, it should lift him up in how we see him. And just the, the scope of who he is, the scope of all that he's done, right? I mean, like I said, not is he just the image of the invisible God. Not only is he the most supreme being of all creation, but he is the creator of all things. And he says that in, in the end of, of verse 16 that all things were created through him. He says that again, and then he adds, and for him. 
and for him. Or another way to say that is all things are moving towards him. Even creation knows. The things he created know that he is the point. Jesus is the point of all creation. All creation revolves around him. And and, and for, for us, as we think about who Jesus is, as we think about how all creation revolves around him and it is for him, the question is, why would we want to elevate anything else in our own lives to equal status as him? And it's a question we've kind of been asking throughout this whole series. Why would we want to elevate something else to the same position of Jesus when nothing else can claim the things that Jesus can claim? Nothing else can claim to be the exact imprint of God. Nothing else, like I say, even for us, we, we do get to create. We are crea- God has, has wired us to be creative people. But things that we create are from things that we already existed. Jesus created out of nothing. Right? We can't call ourselves, or we shouldn't at least, the most supreme beings of the world. Though we sometimes live like it. We think we are. So why would we want to elevate something else, whether it's an opinion, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a status, whether it's having things? Like I said, no, those things are bad, but why would we want to elevate those things of most importance when none of those things can make the same claims as Jesus? And so we're tempted to do this, but none of, the, none of these things hold up. And he affirms this in verse 17. He says, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. As we're going through this verse, these verses, you might have noticed the word that's been repeated, or the little phrase that's been repeated, and that's all things. The all things is meant to help us see the completeness of who Christ is, that all things are submissive to him. All things are held together by him. He was before all things. Right? Do we, do we see the picture that, Jesus, that Paul is creating about Jesus here? It's like I said, like I said earlier, there is nothing lacking in him. Jesus has always been. He says in, John, in his high priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus affirms this. He says that, and now, Father, as, he's about, as Jesus is about to be going to the cross, Um, knowing what he came for, knowing that he came to redeem mankind back to God through his sacrifice. He says, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before what? Before the world existed. What does that tell us about Jesus? Was he created? Like I said, we we function in time. We function in a beginning and an end. Right? We, like I said, I, like I said, we function on like a continuum of time. Right? Jesus was there before any of that began. Right? And he, and he, he affirms this, or this is affirmed in, at the beginning of John's gospel, in John 1, 1 through 2, when he says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The Word is Jesus here. Do we see how Jesus, this text is just elevating Christ above all things? Do we see that? Do we see how Jesus is being elevated? And what, like I said, what these verses are pointing to, they're pointing to his supremacy over all things. And I believe that the culminating statement of this text is that he holds all things together. 
all things are held together. And what does it mean that he holds all things together? It means that he is sustaining and he's putting all things back together in its proper place. And it's a present reality. Like right now in San Angelo, Texas, at the at Redeemer San Angelo, God is, take a breath. He's holding us together. He's holding us together. Um, uh, 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 there was an older pastor in the 1800s. I'm going to quote him a few more times in the sermon. Um, he has a really good quote about this. He says, remember, you are not a tree that can live or stand alone. You are only a branch. And it is only while you abide in Christ as the branch in the vine that you will flourish or even live. So if he holds all things together, everything is sustained by him. And if all things are for him or for his glory and for the renown of his name, if all things are for him, why would we revolve our lives around anything else or anyone else? So go back to the question that we had at the beginning of our time together. Do, do, I, do I want to know this Jesus? Do I want to revolve my life around him? Or do I want to just see him as a means to some other end? If we see the elevation of Christ, we will see that any other end will fall vastly short. Sit on that for a second. Do I want to know Jesus? Do I want to revolve my life around him? Or is he just useful for something else? I think if, I, if we believe that these are true, then nothing else will compare. Nothing else can, can hold a candle. Here's why I think for us, um, why Jesus simply can't be a means to some other end. Even good things, even good things. So like, like for instance, I want a good marriage. Um, I, I love my wife. I, I'm so thankful to be good get to be married to, to Kirsty, uh, And I do pray often that, Lord, would you help me be a better husband? Give me the grace. Uh, give me the help, Lord Jesus, to, to love my wife well like you've loved me. Lord, help me do that because I need a lot of help in that. Can I get an amen from my husbands, other, hus- other husbands in here, right? But if the goal of my prayer is just to have a better marriage, and if Jesus isn't the end of that, if my goal is just to have the better, a better marriage, then what I am inadvertently doing is I am placing the burden of my hope. I'm placing the, 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 that, placing the burden of my um, whole life on my marriage. My marriage does not hold all things together. Jesus does. We rely on Jesus to help us in our marriages, but the point when we engage in prayer for these things is not for the sake of our marriage, but it's for the sake of knowing Christ more. And here's the thing. When I know Jesus more, guess what flourishes? My marriage. Right? If, if Christ isn't the end of our prayer, if he's not the point of the, our bringing, our, like I said, for instance, another, I mean, a lot of us in this room I know are struggling with some kind of addiction, are struggling with something, some kind of secret sin, whether it be porn or whether you have an anger issue or whether there's something else going on in your heart. Here's the thing. You should absolutely, 100%, bring these things to the Lord because you need his help and grace. But the goal of you trying to put these sins to death is not for the sake of putting these sins to death. 
is for you to know Christ more. Knowing Christ isn't about moving away from something, but rather it's pushing towards a person. Christ helps us in our sins, absolutely. Christ helps us with our needs, absolutely. But the point of bringing our needs to him is not for the sake of the need. It's for the sake of knowing the Savior. If we have an elevated view of Jesus, this will happen. But if we are placing our hope on anything else, even good things, even trying to put to death a sin or a marriage, we're placing this idea that this is what's going to hold my life together. If I can just get rid of this sin, then my life will be better. If I can just have a better marriage, then my life will be better. If I can just fill in the blank, that sells Jesus way short. Live for something better. Live for something greater. The Christian, like I said, the Christian life is not about moving away from a sin, but rather it's about moving towards a person. Back to my my friend, Robert Murray McShine, he says that a believer longs after God to come into his presence, to feel his love, to feel near to him in secret, to feel in the crowd that he is nearer than all creatures. Ah, dear brethren, have you ever tasted this blessedness? There is a greater rest and solace to be found in the presence of God for one hour than in an eternity in the presence of man. And here's the thing, too. Is when we say that I, when we say to somebody, "I'll pray for you," which we should be praying for people, we're not only bringing up a supplication for that person, whatever that need might be, but rather we are stepping into the presence of Jesus. We are stepping into His presence, and our need, or the other person's need that we're praying for, is meant to point us to our need for Jesus. It's not just praying. It's not just, okay, I'll pray for this person, but rather when we get to pray for people or pray for our own hearts, we are getting to know this Jesus that Paul has elevated so highly that this whole world revolves around. See, see, that's the point he's trying to get in their mind is that Jesus is the one who we want to revolve our life around. We want to know him more. We want to make him the aim of our hearts. We want to, anything else is just going to fall so short. Kirsten and I were listening to a podcast yesterday, uh, and the guy said that I want to live a Christianity worthy of Jesus. And like I said, using Jesus for anything else other than knowing him and making much of him is missing the mark. It's missing the mark. Is Jesus just a means to prop up my uh, political opinions? Or are those things in submission to him? Is Jesus just a means for me to have a better marriage? Or, or do I want to know him more so that my marriage will be better? Is Jesus uh, just a means for me to, to, to not go to hell? Or is there so much more about knowing him? Is Jesus just a means for me to live out a certain moral code that I like? Or is he the reason why we want to obey? Like I said, to make him anything less is to not make him Lord and supreme in our lives. And if we believe this to be true, if we believe what Paul says in verses 15 through 17, and really the whole scope, 15 through 20, if we believe these things to be true, we will wrestle with the question of what 
places Jesus have in my life? Does my life revolve around him or is it revolving around something else? Am I just using Jesus as a prop in my life to get something that I feel like I really want or that's going to be much better? Or is he the point? Is everything, as Paul says, is it true about it? Is everything for him? And so that's what I want to ask us today, this morning, is what place does Jesus have in your life? Is he the preeminent one? Is he the supreme one? Or is he just kind of a piece, one piece out of many pieces? And and here's the hope, as the Spirit is working in our hearts this morning. If there is conviction, if there is something going on in your heart that you need to confess or bring to him, we have a God who's so gracious and so kind and so welcoming that he gives that to you. Don't, let, don't confuse conviction with condemnation. But rather, lean into the grace and lean into what the Spirit might be working in your heart. In. And, 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 and one more time, um, for my boy, Robert. Yeah, I think he phrases it really good. Like I said, our hope is not in the things that we are asking for, but rather to the one whom we are asking. And Robert says, McShine says this, Aha, believers, you are a tempted people. You are always poor and needy, and God intends it, and God intends it should be so, to give you constant errands to go to Jesus. Some may say, it is not good to be a believer, but ah, See to whom we can go. See to whom you can go. This Jesus, who's supreme over all things, who's the image of the invisible God, who created all things. All things are for him, and he holds all things together. He was before all things. If this Jesus is this grand and that big, then he is worth not only living for, but also trusting that he's going to give us everything we need to live a life for him and to know him more. And so as we end our time this morning and and worship, and you guys can go ahead and come on up, I want to bring forth the question again. What place does Jesus have in your life? And this is the beauty of, of those of us who have placed our faith in Christ. Like I said, McShine says that, uh, look to whom we can go. I ask you the same thing. Look to whom you can go. If you are feeling, like I said, if you're feeling any kind of weight from anything from God's word, look to whom you can go. And you can go to him because he, as he says in, the, in verse 20, he made peace with God by the blood of his cross. He broke his body for us. He spilled his blood for us. Look to whom you can go, the one who holds all things together. And if we are in him, we have this high privilege of getting to know him and be on this path to have deeper relationship with him. And so this morning, as we partake in communion together, um, remind yourself Man, I can go to him. I can go to the Father because of Jesus. Look to the one whom you can go. And for just as a practical matter, those and when we enter this time, um, communion is in the back. The cups are together. Um, go at your own pace. If you need to sit and be still for a minute, and you can do that. If you want to go and partake in the elements, you can do that. But like I said, the, the elements of communion are for the believer. But 
like I said, as we partake together, remind yourself that this Jesus is worthy of living our lives for. That this, this beautiful hymn, um, as many scholars think it to be, verses 15 through 17, is meant to not only affect us up in our minds, but it's also meant to affect us in our hearts. It's meant to help us know him more and that we can know him more through his son. And so as we partake today, remember that your hope cannot be in anything else other than Jesus. And as we partake, remember that you are not just tolerated at his table, but you are welcomed at his table because Christ has done, made that possible for us. You are welcomed. You are welcomed. And so Jesus, we thank you so much for your kindness and for your grace. We thank you, God, that you have welcomed us to your table. God, we thank you that you are a that you are God above all gods. Jesus, we are so thankful, Lord, that you are so supreme over all things, that we have a Savior who we don't need to go to anything else. We don't need to look to anything else for hope and for life, but Lord, we can go to you. Lord, I pray that you would help my own heart not just see you as useful, but as the point. I pray the same for all of us in here, Jesus, that you would help us not just see you as useful, but Lord, you are the point of all things. We are needy. We are desperate. We are all those things. And I pray, God, that our need and our desperation wouldn't crush us, but it would lead us to the cross. So, God, you are so kind. We thank you for, for dying on the cross for us. We thank you for spilling your blood and breaking your body for us so that we might have redemption, forgiveness of sins, and be welcomed at your table. So, Lord, would you work in our hearts? And as you work, would you remind us of your kindness and your grace? We praise your son's name. Amen.